Once again, welcome everybody. Hag Sukkot Sameach or Hag Sukkot Sameach. I'm not sure the correct terminology for our Ashkenazi brothers. Today is the first day of Sukkot, and it is the most joyous of all the Moedim. The Torah describes Sukkot several times. Jeanette read for us from the book of Vayikra, chapter 23, which says in part that on the fifth day, 15th day of this month, we, uh, the children of Israel are supposed to have a holy convocation, right? Or get together. They are supposed to dwell in tents so that uh, they remember the Lord taking them out of, out of the land. Leviticus 23. Notably, um, they are supposed to do no laborious work. <clears throat> doesn't, the Lord doesn't tell us what exactly laborious work is, but we're just not supposed to do it. I love the ambiguity sometimes that the Lord makes us really think about things. There's supposed to be a a holy convocation, bring an offering by fire, and of course we're supposed to, uh, well, the children of Israel living in the land are given this commandment, and they are to uh, celebrate it and um, and, uh, dwell in their sukkahs. It is also talked about in Devarim and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 16 is interesting. If you'd like to turn there for a minute, I'm going to read a section of Deuteronomy 15 where it also talks about Sukkot. Um, It's Deuteronomy 16. It's on page 225 if you have one of these black family Bibles. If not, I trust most people here could probably get to Deuteronomy chapter 16 where it discusses the three harvest festivals, the Shalosh Regalim, right? These are the festivals that you're supposed to travel back to Jerusalem and in verse 13 it picks up talking about Sukkot. It says you are to keep the feast of Sukkot for seven days after gathering in the produce from your threshing floor and wine press, so you will rejoice in your feast, you, your son, your daughter, slave and maid, Levite and outsider, orphan and widow within your gates. Seven days you will feast to Adonai your God in the place he chooses, because Adonai your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hand and you will be completely filled with joy. Three times a year, all your males are to appear before Adonai, your God, in the place he chooses. That would be Jerusalem, at the Feast of Matzot, at the Feast of Shavuot, and the Feast of Sukkot. No one should appear before Adonai empty-handed, the gift of each man's hand according to the blessing Adonai, your God, has given you. And if, uh, so they're all supposed to appear on one of those three times of the year, according to the blessing Adonai has given you, what you have grown and produced with your hands. And we learned from chapter 14 of Deuteronomy that if you can't bring it, you exchange it for money and you go anyways, and then you can exchange that money for food or strong drink 
and be able to celebrate these uh, harvest festivals. It's a bit strange that they are commanded to be joyful. Being commanded to have a certain emotion um, seems like a bit of a difficulty because many times emotions are not under our control. When somebody passes away, there's grief. You can't control whether you're grieving or not. Now, some emotions can be faked. If I sit up here and I deliver a bad joke, I'm going to get a few fake laughs. But that's not true laughter. And I don't think Adonai wants us um, faking anything. But during this season, Semka and Joy is really not that difficult to come by if one has been busy with the previous Moedim of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We should have all been going through weeks of self-reflection, uh, repentance, teshuva, and if done intensely for 40 days, that can tire the soul. And the reward for such dedication, dedication is Sukkot, a time to relax, calm down, be at peace, and have some joy. There's time to dwell in the sukkah. It's that building you see outside this morning. You've seen our uh, throwback banner also that the guys found hidden deep within the recesses of the treehouse. Amen. It's a, the sukkah is a simple dwelling place constructed, designed to focus one on the heavenly realm. David brought this up earlier. Is it a tent? Is it a sukkah? Are they the same thing? In the sense that they're temporary, I guess you could say they're the same thing, but there are some very big differences. A tent, when you think about it, we all have tents you can put up in your backyard. It has a top on it. The sides you can kind of see out of, but if it rains, you're not going to get wet. That is your tent. A sukkah is much different. A sukkah has sides. It's square, not most of our tents look like a pyramid. But the sukkah is more square. And when you stand inside the sukkah, there's no windows. You know, I have a tent that has like these mesh windows you can pull up and you can see all around. The sukkah is almost the opposite. The sukkah out back has solid walls. You really can't see out. And there's not much of a top. There's some, a little bit of lattice and some leaves. But whether you get wet or not depends on the Lord. And sitting in the sukkah, there's not a lot to look at back there, but your attention is directed upwards towards the heavens. And you realize, and that's why they're commanded to sit in them and remember them coming out of Egypt. Them coming out of Egypt, they depended on the Lord. That's uh, for provision, health, food, safety, everything. And so sitting in the sukkah should really direct your attentions upward when you're sitting in your tent there's not much upwards but canvas and your attention's directed outwards to the world or yourself. The sukkah takes that uh, attention and it directs it upwards. Sukkot also has a significance, of course, for the disciple of Yeshua, besides being his birthday. Thank you, Jeanette. It was a time that um, he would have Yeshua would have attended all of these harvest festivals like every other Jewish man walking around Israel 2,000 years ago. 
And I'd like to look at a passage this morning where he went to the temple as recorded in the book of John. John gives us some helpful imagery that helps build up some hope for this kingdom because it all really points to the coming world in the messianic age in many different ways. But this morning, I'd just like to look at John chapter 7. The book of John in chapter 7 describes the water drawing ceremony. The water drawing ceremony, as David was mentioning earlier, was a very big deal. It happened every morning, every morning of the, uh, during the week of Sukkot, there would be loud trumpet blasts. The priest would leave the temple grounds and would go down to the uh, pool, of shot, pool of Siloam where there'd be more, much pomp and circumstance, as David said. The uh, Levites are singing songs and playing our instruments, and all the people are wandering around with their lulavs, following the priest down there. The priest takes a, a golden pitcher and takes some water out of the pool of Siloam and then makes his way back up to the temple. And as the priest walks in, there's more blowing of the trumpets and singing and dancing before the priest would go up to the altar and empty the water into a silver pitcher or a silver receptacle on the altar. The, uh, the water has a lot of significance. The water libation ceremony was linked to prophetic imagery of water flowing from the temple that you read about in Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. The water, we think about it in many different aspects. It's the source of all life. We go through the mikvah, you're born again. There's a lot of symbolism about water. And as uh, we read, was read for us this morning in Zechariah, Sukkot is linked to this um, desire for water. Those nations that don't go up, they won't receive water. So this life-sustaining element of water this, uh, is something that's really tied to Sukkot from the prophets, and thus the water drawing ceremony, a lot of these uh, themes are all wrapped up together. It's, um, there's, it beseeches God for abundant water in the coming year. There's that theme there. The many of the Siddur prayers after Simcha Torah add prayers for water. So all of this is the backdrop for John chapter 7, and Yeshua proclaiming that he is the source of living water. At the beginning of chapter 7, it seems there's a little tension between him and his family that maybe he should go up and tell everybody who he is. Chapter 7 begins, verse 1, After these events, Yeshua was walking about in the Galilee. He did not want to walk in Judea because the Judean leaders wanted to kill him. Now the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, these are not his disciples' brothers, these are his brothers' brothers. His brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so your disciples also may see the works you are doing. No one wants to be well known. No one who wants to be well known does everything in secret. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers were trusting in him. Now to be fair, Yeshua was doing a lot of miracles, but he was telling people, don't go tell anybody, be quiet. He was keeping a very low profile, incognito. He wasn't 
out there and open at this point. So his brothers were chiding him a little bit, but this was not his time yet. His time was going to be six months later in Passover. So his brothers end up taking off for Sukkot, and after they leave, Yeshua follows after him. And Yeshua's found in the temple doing what all the other rabbis and sages are doing. They're teaching, they're expounding on Torah with each other, they're debating halakha, the different laws. Um, all those things are happening during the day, every day on Sukkot as well. That's part of just this whole week-long um, festival of Sukkot. It uh, would have been a wonderfully exhausting time to experience, for sure. But it gets to the point where Yeshua is going to stand up and make a proclamation. I like to think, many people like to think, this was happened during the water-drawing ceremony as the priest was getting ready to pour that water onto the altar, and there was silence for a moment as the priest gets ready uh, to pour that water. And so in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast... Yeshua stood up and cried out loud, loudly, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Ruach, whom those who trusted in him were going to receive, for the Ruach was not yet given, since Yeshua was not yet glorified. Spirit would be given after the ascension, of course. And so the people heard these words, as it continues, people heard these words, some of the crowd said, this man really is the prophet, and others were saying this is the Messiah, and others were disagreeing. So it was a very, uh, a lot of people heard this, some received it well, and some didn't. But very important to announce this as he's Closing in on his life, the last several months of his life. Interesting phrasing the writer of the book of John uses here in chapter 38. Verse 38, excuse me, says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, it's interesting because that phrase does not specifically appear anywhere in the Bible. Yet, John says, as Scripture says, but nowhere in Scripture does it actually say that. Some, I suppose, could conclude that maybe there's a lost book somewhere that we don't know about. I really don't think that's the case. John, what he's doing here is an, he employs a paraphrase technique. Uh, many writers in Second Temple times would create targums. A targum is a paraphrase where they take sections of the Bible and they would rewrite it a little bit, rephrase it, use some different words. And it wasn't, they weren't trying to change scripture, they were trying to drive home a certain point, emphasize or highlight something. And so they would write targums and they'd rewrite scripture a little bit. And so it, it really had uh, the, you know, their own point they were trying to get across. And so John here is trying to wrap up a bunch of this water-type imagery. In my Bible, on this verse, there's a lot of little notes at the bottom. Many of your Bibles have that as well, reference notes. 
mine says on this verse 38, it says, see um, Isaiah 44.3, Ezekiel 47, um, Zechariah 14.8. None of those passages have that specific phrase in it, but they all have similar language of water flowing out from the temple. And so what John's doing here is he's trying to connect these things. He's He's taking that imagery of water flowing out from the temple and he's applying it to Yeshua, comparing Yeshua to the temple. What is the temple? The temple is a physical place in this world where it's that, um, it's that meeting point. It is that intersection between this world and the creator. You know, what's not of this universe. There's one physical place where that intersects and that was at the temple. John's taking that and he's placing that on Yeshua and that Yeshua is that physical point of intersection between this world and its creator. That's what John's doing here. That life, water flows from our creator, but it flows through Yeshua. That's that source of living water for us in this physical world. That's what John's trying to uh, sort of draw out here. No pun intended. Imagery, this is imagery that John builds on in the book of Revelation many times. The book of Revelation, John paraphrases a lot. Um, the Tanakh and the Torah is quoted many times all throughout the New Testament, but they're proper quotes, like when Jeremiah 31 is quoted. It's a proper quote. John really doesn't follow those rules when he writes. When you read the book of Revelation, he takes all these quotes from the prophets and he puts them in a blender and blends them all up and you get really vivid imagery that sounds a lot like the prophets because he's using them. It's just John really doesn't tend to follow the rules when he's writing his word. But he closes the book of Revelation with the same water imagery and he's placing it on Yeshua. If you'd like to turn to Revelation chapter 22, this is... Um, you're going to have to... Get to the very end, last chapter in our Bible, chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. Same author, John, much later in his life, and he uh, still has this imagery in his mind of Yeshua, of uh, him being that source. Verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city street. On either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in the city, and his servants shall serve him. That's, this is uh, that just right to the very end. This is such a messianic type vision. These are what all the prophets seen, and this is what John had seen. It finishes. Um, chapter 17. The Ruach, the spirit, right? And the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who wishes freely take the water of life 
I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add him to the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are written in this book. The one giving testimony to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Yeshua. May the grace of the Lord Yeshua be with you all. Amen and amen. So, as we enjoy Shabbat today and this week of Sukkot, um, let it be because we have freely taken that water of life whose source is Yeshua because it flows through him. As we look up in the sukkah this afternoon, may we anticipate the return of our king, the ushering in of his kingdom, knowing it's through him that not only everything was made, that we are sustained and everything we receive is from his grace and his mercy. And may we be joyous and at peace at all times because his name is upon us. Shabbat shalom. Hag Sukkot Sameach.